Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. We join with the elders and the the multitude who is gathered around your throne, the angels who were created to sing, holy, 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 for there is none like you, O God. You are completely holy. We worship you. We praise your name today. And we thank you for the time to gather under the banner of your love and by the power of your spirit in this place. Father, as we prepare to open your word, I pray that your spirit would guide and direct this time, that I would just be an instrument in your hands today. That all of us would hear what you would have to say to your church today. We love you, Lord, and we give you this time as a sacrifice of praise in Jesus' name. If you've got your Bibles and you want to turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, we're going to pick up where we left off. Actually, we're going to reread what we studied last week. I'm just going to give the same sermon as last week. We need to hear it again. <laughs> Uh, just to behold the uh, what manner of love the Father has for us to uh, to like I said, we get so enraptured with a with the name Marvel and spend two hours enraptured in a movie so easily. Uh, yet we struggle for three minutes trying to pray, or trying to read God's word. And, and John's like, no, 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 fall all the more in love with Him. Behold Him. Uh, for he's worthy, and so if we turn our affection toward him, then uh, he will fill us with his love. So, just to review, everybody's got it now. If you don't have a Bible, there are some over here. I'd be happy to get you one, or uh, you're welcome to grab one and, and whatever if you want to follow along. But in First John chapter three, just to reread what we covered last week, the first three verses: Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called. Children of God were adopted into his family. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that we ha when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And we spent time <laughs> talking about what it will be like when we see him face to face. And then verse 3, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Our lives should show that we are in love with Christ uh, and, and we should strive to live a holy life, leverage what we have to purify ourselves and allow ourselves to be purified in him. I want to be careful how I say that. Just as he is pure. So last week, three verses, 50 minutes. This week, we're going to do the rest of the chapter at a much more rapid pace. But I think it all flows together. Hopefully, that's my goal. Normally, I have about eight pages of notes. Today, I have 12. So we'll see how close we are to getting out of here on time. Verse 4. You guys excited? Are we good? Are we good? I just want to make sure we're all awake before I put you to sleep. <laughs> Verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. John here, the Apostle John, quick quiz, how old is John as he's writing this? 90. 90. Old. 
especially for that age. That's twice the normal lifespan or what the life expectancy in that day and age. He's lived two lives. He's survived all kinds of things. He calls everybody little children. You know, he's earned the right to do that. And, uh, and so I appreciate that after 70 years of walking with the Lord, that's about what it was, maybe 75, he might have started following Jesus at age 15. For 75 years, he, he, he's almost got to the point where everything is incredibly simple. And he boils it down to brass tacks, and he just says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. He boils sin down to its basic root. Sin is lawlessness. We've talked about what sin means. It's an archery term. It means to miss the mark. If you were to shoot an arrow and completely miss the target, you would shout the word sin, meaning I've missed the mark. Well, in order to miss the mark, there has to be a mark to miss. Make sense? The mark to miss is the law. It's the law of God. And when we miss that mark, we commit sin, we are with lawlessness, or we have lawlessness. Um, yeah, sin equals to miss the mark, which tells us there is a mark to aim for, and that mark is the law of God. When we disregard the law, when we act in lawlessness, we're not only standing against the law, we're standing against the lawgiver. We are, we are disregarding the lawmaker as well. Remember what we learned back in chapter 1. To sin, or to be in sin, is to break fellowship with God. We're no longer walking in the light, we're walking in darkness. Okay, That's, that's the idea, we're breaking our fellowship with Him. So then in verse 5, he's, in verse 4 he says this is what sin is. In verse 5, he boils down what Jesus came to do. Quite simple, to take away our sin. Jesus came that we might have forgiveness of sin. In fact, that was what was given, prophesied over him by the angel Gabriel before he was even born. He, Gabriel speaking to Mary in Matthew chapter 1, it says, And she will bring forth the son, and you shall, or speaking to Joseph rather, and she will bring forth the son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, is God is salvation. And, and, and so even in his name, it tells us what he came to do. He shall save the people from their sins. And then in verse 5 of our chapter, it says, And in him there is no sin. Great attribute to remember of Jesus Christ. He is the spotless lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Remember what John the Baptist said when Jesus arrived on the scene. Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. He is the spotless Lamb. He is without blemish. He is sinless. And by that, He becomes the perfect sacrifice for you and I, bearing our sin upon Himself. Just a real quick note on studying the Bible. One of the things I want to do as a, as a pastor, teacher, is to equip you guys to be able to feed yourselves, to learn how to read from the Word of God. Um, perhaps you know this already, perhaps you don't, but it's sometimes very beneficial to read different versions. Now, when I teach on Sunday mornings, I teach from the New King James Version. And I read what we read, 
this morning. I wanted to look again at verse 4 in a couple different versions just to kind of show you that if we read some different versions, perhaps it helps us understand exactly what John is saying. So, verse 4 again in the New King James. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now, Lily, if you put up that next slide, I put it in the, New, in the King James Version, which is the Old English, which is not fun to read most of the time, but it does give us a little bit of insight. King James says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. See, it's real easy. <laughs> For sin is the transgression of the law. But that does give us a little bit of insight in that whenever the King James uses the ETH suffix, that indicates the tense that the, 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 the language is originally written in. I think it was Charles Spurgeon says that you can make a sermon just in the tenses and understanding how things are written. So the ETH would indicate to us the present perfect tense. And so what John is saying when he writes that, or when... When he writes that, whoever committeth, the idea is whoever is in the practice of, whoever, whoever is continually practicing these things, okay? Um, it's the present perfect tense, and it's the idea of whoever is continuing to. One more version, just to kind of help us, and this will finish filling out the picture. The ESV, which is what I like to read in my personal devotions um, of late anyway, it says it this way. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. See how it kind of fills out the picture? So he, John here isn't talking about, or talking specifically to the Christian who falters on a Thursday afternoon because he got hit in the head with a baseball bat. It says a cuss word or something like that. That's not the idea, that's not who John is addressing in this moment, but he's saying those who would continue to practice sin, those who make it a lifestyle, Who those who would claim to have Christ as their Savior, but their lives would show something very, very different. Saying one thing and doing another. That's who he's addressing here. Uh, everyone who makes a practice of sin. Okay? Remember, John wrote this letter for four different reasons, and we covered the third reason back in chapter 2. Verse 26, he says, These things I've written to you, concerning those who try to deceive you. John was trying to combat what was known as Gnosticism at the time. I won't go into a whole lot of detail on what all they believed, but one of the twisted doctrines that the Gnostics believed were, or that they were pushing, was that Jesus never actually came in the flesh. He was purely spirit. In other words, he um, didn't leave footprints when he walked on the, on the same. He was strictly spirit and not flesh at all. And what they wanted to do um, was to justify themselves continuing in sin because if Jesus only came in the spirit, he only came to address spiritual things and we don't need to worry about our flesh. And that would justify them to say, I'll let my flesh do whatever it wants to do. It's not a matter of importance anyway. Jesus came to save my spirit. We don't have control over the flesh. In fact, the flesh can imbibe in whatever it desires. And that's what they were really trying to justify by saying that Jesus only came in the spirit and wasn't fully human as well. Twisted scripture there. And so, or twisted doctrine rather. 
Twisted Scripture, the name of the band for me. That's the only heavy metal song, the only heavy metal song written in the key of C, just so you know. It's the happiest heavy metal song that ever was, and, and the, the message of the song is, we're not going to take it. And you just, sorry, sorry to digress. Lord have mercy. So, um, John wants to combat the idea that you can continue living in sin, continue to practice sin, and call yourself a Christian. Your words and your actions need to line up. He says in verse 6, Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Again, in the King James Version, just to give us the ETH suffix to help us, whoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whoever sinneth has not seen him, neither know him. Whoever continues to practice sin does not abide, is not continuing to abide in him. That's the idea. The ETH helps us understand. Whoever is continuing to dwell in him does not continue to practice sin. You might see that if we fail to dig a little bit in our study of the scripture, you, you could possibly come up with a doctrine that would say, when you're a Christian, you no longer sin. And, in fact, there are those that would teach that. It's known as sinless perfection. And while we are forgiven for our sin, we as Christians at times still falter. We don't want to continue in the practice of sin. We're going to dive into this even more as we get deeper into this chapter. We also... As we study the Word of God, need to interpret Scripture by Scripture. Does that make sense? In other words, you can't take a verse and pull it out of the context of the Scripture to make it say what you want it to say. That's one of the reasons we as a church study the Word of God chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the whole Bible. So that we aren't taking things out of, out of its context. John already said in this very letter, in chapter 1, verse 8, if you say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is, uh, in, is not in us. If we confess our sins, remember that word, confess, what it means, we'll talk about it again in a minute. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word of God is not in us. Therefore, the verse we have in chapter 3 could not be speaking to the brother or sister who falters at time. And I'm not, please don't hear me saying, I'm, try, we're, I'm trying to create an excuse for us to sin. What then, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? Right, Paul says, no. no. We strive to live a pure life. That's what he told us to do. So after digging a bit, we understand that John is not necessarily teaching sinless perfection here. He's rather combating a Gnostic doctrine that permitted a continued life of sin. That I can say I'm spiritual, but live however I want to live. He says in verse 7, Little children, don't let anyone deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, Jesus, is righteous. He who practices righteousness is righteous. It's not that our righteousness makes us righteous. It's his righteousness that makes us righteous. But 
when we have his righteousness, it should be evidenced by us practicing righteousness. Don't ask me to write that down. But that's the idea. He who practices righteousness, in other words, how about this, the verse you know, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Matthew 3.8. We, our lives should line up with the fact that we have repented and placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Our lives should show that we have done, in fact, that. If we have received the righteousness of Jesus, then our lifestyle will show it. He who sins, verse 8, is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. John reminds us here, there's only two camps. You're either for him or against him. There is no middle ground. I just have, haven't made a decision yet. Well, your non-decision is a decision. There are two camps to live in. Those born of God and those who are not. John gives the second reason Jesus came. That he might destroy the works of the devil. He says that in verse 8. Verse 4, he said Jesus came to take away our sin. He delivers us from the penalty of sin. In verse 8, he also destroys the work of Satan. He delivers us from the power of sin. We don't have to continue sinning. He gives us the power to overcome our sin. You guys know, if you've been around me long enough, that Charles Spurgeon is my favorite. The Prince of Preachers. I'll try to quote him as much as I can. This is what he would say. Labor under no mistake, sir. He that committeth sin is of the devil. It is no use making excuses or apologies. If you are a lover of sin, you shall go where sinners go. If you who live after this fashion say that you have believed in the precious blood of Christ, I do not believe you, sir. If you had a true faith that in that precious blood, you would hate sin. If you dare to say you are trusting in the atonement, while living in sin, you lie, sir. You do not trust in the atonement, for where there is a real faith in an atoning sacrifice, it purifies the man and makes him hate the sin which shed the Redeemer's blood. So good. It makes him hate the sin which shed the Redeemer's blood. John says in verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. If you truly have been born of God, born again, technon, the born ones is the word there, those born again, the way we feel about sin will change. You don't feel good about sin anymore. Before we when we walked in darkness, sin was fun, Right? I mean, it was fun to go out on a Friday night and get tanked. It was fun to sleep around. It was fun to party. It was fun to do all those things. Once we give our lives to Christ and you try to go back out on the weekend, it ain't fun no more. It's like a fish out of water. You just feel awkward. John Corson would say, the Christian who is imbibing in sin is the most miserable person in the world. He has enough of the Lord in him to not enjoy the sin, and he has enough of the sin in him to not enjoy the Lord. 
We no longer are enjoying sin when we are truly born of God. When we sin, we have that conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we've confessed. The word was homo legeo, to have the same speech. In other words, we agree with what God has to say about sin. We, we, we place our faith in what God has to say about our sin, and that is that it separates us from him. Verse 10 says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil, those are the two camps, are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. But he adds something here. He adds a second uh, stipulation. Nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. As Moses writes out the Levitical law, 613 different laws, I think is the number, uh, for the Israelites to live by. I think, uh, I can't remember, somebody in the Old Testament takes those 613 laws and condenses it down to about 12. In case 613 were too difficult, they kind of give you the synopsis, the Cliff Notes version, if you would, in 12 different summaries of the law. Then Micah takes it even a step further in Micah 6, 8. He says, now, if you want to live out the law, uh, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8. He boils it down to three. Jesus goes, if three is too much for you, I'll take it down to two for you. Right? When he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second of the greatest commandments is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. You want to spend the rest of your life focusing on just two laws, you focus on those two. Love God, love others. And you can spend the rest of your life focusing on just those two things, and it will consume your whole, your all. Love God and love others. You shall love, the, uh, that's Matthew chapter 22. John's gospel, Jesus said it this way. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. What? If you have love for one another. It's not in how eloquent our speeches are. It's not in how cool a sound system we have, our amazing worship team we have. It's not in uh, whether we have the right Sunday school curriculum. It's not in whether we feed the poor um, uh, or whether we have the best missions or we have. It, those are all part of what we are. But the way the world will know that we are his disciples is how we love one another. They'll look at us as a church and say, man, there's just something different about they, they care deeply about like more than I care about my own family kind of deeply. They're willing to give up of themselves to spend their time helping people move or, or they're willing to give of their treasure, you know, to, to give a car away to, I, I remember um, when Michelle first got saved and she came into this church, uh, to the church here in Columbus Calvary Chapel, she was broken broken lady in so many different ways and I won't go into the depth of her testimony. She had very, very little. And Pastor Dave did so much just to get her a car so she could get around. I think they spent 400 bucks on like a 78 Nova or something that was, you know, rusted out in the bottom. You had to be careful where you put your feet. But it got her from point A to point B and, and they like traded in a tuba to you know, get some money, and, and somebody had something, and they're taking it to the pawn shop, and they're just, everybody's chipping in to get Michelle a car. This girl would come off the street and was broke. 
It was evidence of the love of Christ. And that's how we live with one another. You, I have something you need. In fact, John's going to say that here in a second. We share of our worldly needs, or our worldly possessions. We, we love in a way that we hold on loosely to the things of this world. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John is saying in that verse 11 or 10, both righteousness and love need to be present in our lives. David Guzik would say, righteousness without love makes one a Pharisee, a religious Pharisee. And love without righteousness makes one a partner in evil. Righteousness without love makes one a religious Pharisee. And love without righteousness makes one a partner in evil. We need both present in our lives. Now John gives an example, one we're familiar with, in verse 12. He says, not, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteousness. Speaking of Cain and Abel, back to Genesis chapter 4. If you want to flip there real quick, we're going to read a couple of verses. Genesis chapter 4. Just to remind us of the story of Cain and Abel. John uses it in, as an example, so we should look at it. Beginning of your Bible, about two pages in. Genesis chapter 4, picking up in verse 2. Speaking of Eve, it says, Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. So Cain the older, Abel the younger. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So as they grow up, Abel is a shepherd, Cain a farmer. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Sounds like a good thing. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel's offering, Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well... Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? Not that the Lord didn't know. And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Is it me? Well, I haven't seen him. And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. John uses this example of Cain <coughs> to draw our attention to say, Okay, where is your where is your life lying? Are you are you walking in righteousness? Are you filled with his love? Or are, are our actions lined up with Cain? Cain was of the wicked one, it says. Cain is a good example of the failure to love. you got to assume that Cain grew up in a godly family, right? Adam and Eve were his parents. They walked in the pool of the garden. They kind of had, had this intimate relationship with God. So they raised Cain in a godly upbringing that should have equipped him to love, but he opted not to. We know that Cain's disobedience came from a lack of faith. Hebrews 11.4 fills us in on that. And so it was a, the reason God rejected Cain's sacrifice, though it was a good thing to offer God the fruit of the ground, it was the heart in which Cain gave the sacrifice that was the major issue. 
Cain's disobedience and hatred was based in pride. Cain's disobedience and hatred made him miserable. This Genesis 4, 5. Cain refused the warning God gave him and gave into the sin of hatred. Did you hear the warning? Sin is crouching at the door. Cain's sin of, of hatred led to action against the one he hated. He killed Abel. And then Cain was evasive about his sin after the fact. But God found him out. Don't be like Cain. Should be a bumper sticker. <laughs> Do not marvel, my brethren, verse 13, if the world hates you. Good reminder, church. Don't be surprised if the world hates us. We're called to love, but don't expect the world to love us back. Darkness doesn't like the light. Doesn't, doesn't want to be in the light. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Wow, that's really strong language, John. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer? Are you sure? Well, yeah, Jesus kind of said the same thing. It's not just the physical act that is sin. It's a condition of the heart. In fact, that was the issue with Cain, wasn't it? It was his heart that wasn't in the right spot when he offered the sacrifice. What was physically acted out by Cain takes place in my heart Every time I hate my brother. Every time I hate my brother, what Cain did physically, I do in my heart. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, which means fool, shall be in danger of the council. He speaks of lust and adultery in the same way. It's not just a, the physical act, it's the condition of the heart. He says, John says in verse 16, By this we know love, because he's laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I think there's a study in the 316s of the Bible. A lot of them are powerful. This one included, of course, John 316, the gospel in one verse. But by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We walk in righteousness and we have a love of the brethren. In the gospel of John, he said, Greater love has no one than this, than the one who would lay down his life for his friends. Of course, Jesus did that by going to the cross for you and I. He says in verse 17, Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Such a joy. When we got together yesterday to serve at Warm, Terry, the coordinator there, just so impressed with our church. We just want to pass the accolades along to you guys. It's like, it's so evident that you guys love one another. It's so evident that you love this community. It's so evident that you love God. 
just in the way you interact with one another, just the way you, you care for one another, just the way you serve and, and that you do. This world, if you have this world's goods and you see your brother in need and we shut up our heart, how does the love of God abide in it? All of us have $15 a month to sponsor a child in El Salvador who is wondering whether or not they're going to eat. Is wondering whether or not they're going to have clean clothes to put on. All of us have. All of us can make those sacrifices. If we have, let us hold on loosely to what we have so that so that we can love others. And by this we'll know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Underline that. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. We hear so many people say, I just want to follow my heart. Right? I think that's a millennial cry anymore. I just, I'm going to spend a year just following my heart and doing what I want to do. And God's, or John says, no, there's a higher court. <laughs> there's a greater thing than your heart. In fact, your heart can deceive you. It can trick you. So why trust in it? If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Here's the story from this guy, Gail Irwin. If you're, uh, Gail Irwin has been in the Calvary Chapel circle for like 60 years. He's a great orator, and he tells a wonderful story about this guy that he knew when he was a boy. The man's name was Jake, and he was the meanest, drunkest man in town. He'd come to church from time to time just to pick on the elders. <laughs> One Wednesday night, Jake came to church, but not to beat anybody up. Remarkably, Jake gave his life to Jesus, walked down the aisle of the little church, and kneeled down at the altar. The next night, there was another meeting at that church, and the pastor asked if anyone wanted to share what God was doing in their lives. Jake stood up and said, I've got something to say. Last night, when I came here, I hated you people. Ed's not in agreement. <laughs> but something happened to me, and I don't understand this, but tonight, I love you. And though he only had one tooth, he smiled really big. <laughs> this is a wonderful assurance that we're born again. By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. If we love the brethren, it's a good indicator that we have the love of God in us. Again, Spurgeon. Sometimes our heart condemns us, but in doing so, it gives a wrong verdict. And then we have the satisfaction of being able to take the case into a higher court, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Verse 22 is interesting to me. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Whatever we ask, we have of him. Now, there are certainly those today that would love to twist that scripture. I'm not going to go down that way. I'm going to go this direction. When I was a young man, I worked in child care for a season. And uh, 
and worked at Kinder Care over off of Sawmill Road. There was a young man there named David, a little eight or nine year old kid, and David was the bane of my existence. <laughs> I struggled with David every single day. It was before ADD was a popular diagnosis, um, but this kid had, and then a whole bunch of other letters after his name. <laughs> and we constantly butted heads because. I was the one who set up the boundaries for him. I loved him. And I think he loved me too. And I remember one time, you know, telling him, I was playing in a Christian heavy metal band at the time and telling him about the band and all kinds of stuff. And we were, had a conversation. And we somehow got on prayer. And I, I brought up this verse and I said, you know, there's a scripture that says, whatever we ask, we receive from him trying to indicate that when our hearts are aligned with the will of God, then what we ask of him, he gladly gives us. And David goes, so you mean if I ask Jesus to fly, he'll let me fly? It's just like, oh, good Lord, how do I answer this question? It's like, well, yeah, if he wants you to. <laughs> if, you're, if it's his will for you to. But the question of the matter is, the, it's a matter of the heart. When we're abiding with him, when we're fellowshipping with him, when we're following our, his commandment to love him and to love others, speaking of that, to love him and to love others, where are you on that list? Nowhere. Love God, love others. There's the popular uh, video series, I Am Second, which is cool. I get the idea. It means that God is first in my life. I love the I Am Second stories. But you're not second either. I'm not second either. I'm last. When we truly love. Love God, love others. Love me last. When we are abiding in him, fellowshipping with him, following his commandments, loving him, loving others, then what we ask of him in prayer, and the way we ask is by saying, thy will be done, will come to pass. Will come to pass when we are aligned with him. And this is the commandment. I just want to finish out the chapter. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. John takes these last two verses to summarize the whole thought of the chapter. I'm going to do the same. In the way that Jesus took the 613 commandments and boiled it down to two, I'm going to take this chapter and give you one sentence to take home. Ready? If we claim to be Christian, our lives will show it by living holy and loving brethren. Boil down to that simple fact. That's, that's the whole of the chapter. If we claim to be Christian... Our lives will show it by living holy and loving the brethren. We can strive for that, right? We can aim for that. We can love the way that he has loved us. Which brings us to the communion table. We take communion the first of each month. It's a call to remembrance. Jesus said, do these things in remembrance. Take of the bread and drink of the cup. And the invitation
invitation to come to the table is an invitation to remember that he was the sinless one, that he is the sinless one. And though he could have simply taken pity on us, he chose to love us. Love us to death. Right? The point of the cross. He bore our sin upon his shoulders that we might have the righteousness of God. It was his body broken. It was his blood shed on our behalf. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.